is God? Who is this God that we've been singing about this morning? Do you know who God is? Do you really know who God is? I want to recommend that you don't be so quick to answer yes to that question. I want to suggest that that question is not as easy to answer as some might think it is. In fact, the truth is this question, who is God, is a very difficult question. It is a very complex question. It is a question that, that actually would generate a lot of discussions, even among us as the people of God this morning. Who is God is a very difficult and complex question. And the reason why it is difficult and complex is not because there's no answer to the question, but instead it's because the answer to it is, is so big. It's so, so vast, it's so colossal and, and grand. I mean, think about it, think about it. If I were to come up to you this morning and hand you a blank, a blank sheet of paper, and I ask you to write down that piece of paper all the things, all the things that you know about God, I'm pretty sure that by the time you finish that piece of paper I gave you, would be loaded with information, right? I'm willing to guess that you probably would be filling out that piece of paper for a very long time. It is not easy limiting a description of God to one double-sided sheet of paper, but for our particular venue this morning, I want to try an approach that may be somewhat effective. It may work. It may help simplify a big topic for our weak and feeble minds as human beings. You see, believe it or not, but there is a book in the Bible that tells us every important thing we need to know about God. There is a book in the Bible that helps us understand the richness of God and the grandeur of God, and how we need to properly respond to God in our lives. This book, fittingly, is the largest book in the Bible. It is one of the most popular and familiar books of the Bible. It is a book that we've actually been reading in our daily Bible reading schedule. It is. It is the, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Have you been enjoying Reading through the Psalms so far this year, I, I certainly have. I always enjoy reading through the Psalms because they're so rich and they tell us so much about God. We learn so much about God in the book of Psalms, just like we learn a lot about God in the book of Job. In fact, the book of Psalms may tell us more about God than any other book in the Bible. In the book of Psalms, we learn so much about who God is. And what he has done for us in our lives. In fact, it is that very topic, that very topic that I want to talk with you about this morning. My dear friends, if you don't mind, I want to continue with the subject matter or the theme that I began with in the first 
sermon this morning. This morning in this lesson, I want to talk with you about one of the most important subjects in the Bible, and that is God. I want to talk with you this morning about the identity of God. Can I do that? Can I talk with you about the identity of God this morning? I want to submit to you that living in a world where so many people are absolutely clueless about who God is or they're just trying to completely face him out of our society, it is important that we do this from time to time. It is important that we do this for our young people from time to time. It is important that we do this for our new converts and for the people among us who may not be Christians. It is even important for people here this morning who may have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, or even 50 years. I don't care who we are this morning. Every now and then we need to study and remind ourselves of who God is. We need to remind ourselves of what the Bible tells us about the identity of God. And so what do we learn about God when we study the Psalms? Well, one of the things we learn about God from the Psalms is we learn that when it comes to God, he's the creator. He is the creator of all things. This is a truth that is so important to the people who contributed to the book of Psalms that they tell it to us over and over again. People like the great King David really emphasize this in, in their writings. David really wants us to get this immersed in our hearts. And so let me show you a few things here in the Bible. Go to Psalm 148. Go to Psalm 148. I hope you got a Bible with you this morning because we're going to be working these Bibles pretty good this morning. So get your iPad out, your phone, your paper Bible, get your Bible out. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time that I'm going to be going through some scriptures pretty fast this morning. And so if you have a hard time keeping up with me, make sure you get a copy of the outline on the website, because we're going to have to go through some things pretty fast due to time and due to our big subject matter. Let's go to Psalm 148 and verse number one. In Psalm 148 and verse number one, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. That's what we're doing this morning. We're praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they, the angels, the sun, moon, stars, all of these things were created. Here the psalmist is saying that everything, everything was created by God. Everything in the spiritual dimension and in the physical dimension. Let all these things, angels, sun, moon, and stars, praise the Lord because God created these things. Now go to Psalm 19, please. Psalm 19, a great psalm written by David. In Psalm 19, in verse number one, the Bible says that heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I want you to ponder on those two verses for just a few moments. I want to suggest to you that living in a world where so many people are trying to convince us and especially our kids that this world that we're living in right now is just some grand cosmic accident. We really need to appreciate what David is saying in those verses. We really need to understand that according to what David says, 
through the creation, through these things that we see here in this beautiful part of the country, God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us through the creation. God is speaking to me and he's, and he's speaking to you. Though we cannot learn the will of God by observing nature, we got to go to the Bible if we're going to learn the will of God. God's not telling us his will through nature, but nevertheless, he is still speaking to us. Through nature, he is telling us that he's real. Through nature, he is giving us evidence for his existence. He is showing us that, that he is responsible for all that we see. I mean, who can gaze up at the stars at night and refuse to wonder in amazement at the astonishing things that he sees? Who can look up at the sun and, and the moon and not marvel? Who can observe the human body and how it functions and not notice evidence for, for design that it had to be created by someone that this marvelous machine could not have just happened by chance? All around us in the creation, God has given us evidence for intelligent, intelligent, Design. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 20 that those who refuse to believe in God are without excuse. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 14 and verse 1 that only the fool says in his heart that there is no God. In the Psalms we learn that God is the creator. He's the creator of all things, but not only is he the creator of all things, another thing we learn in the Psalms about God is God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. When we say God is all-powerful, we mean that there is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing impossible for God. There is nothing too great for the God who created all things. Go to Psalm 8, please. In Psalm 8 and verse number 3. In Psalm 8 and verse number 3, David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, there's the creation again, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Notice how David again acknowledges how God is, is the creator. God is, is, is powerful here. He is so powerful then notice how David says he ordained the sun and the moon and the stars. Here David is emphasizing the great power of God compared to the feebleness of men. David says that even though God is great, even though God ordained the heavens, he still considers us. He still knows exactly where we are and our little spots in the world. David is emphasizing the greatness of God compared to the weakness and feebleness of us. Human beings. Now put that what you find in Psalm 147. We go to Psalm 147. We look at verse number five. Here's a great verse here. Psalm 147 and verse number five. The first half of the verse says, Great is our Lord and abundant, abundant in strength. Notice how there God's strength or God's power is called great. It is called abundant. It's called great and abundant. Someone says, how great and abundant is God's strength? Well, my friends, it is so great and abundant that it allowed God to create the world and everything in it in six literal days. It is so great and abundant 
that it brought light into existence and it separated the light from the darkness. It is so great and abundant that it enables God to watch over you in your life and protect you and guide you and listen to your prayers and respond to your prayers always in a way that is in your best interest. The Bible says that God is not just powerful. But he is all powerful and he's not just all powerful, but he's also ever present. Psalm 139, we go in our Bibles to Psalm 139 in verse number seven. David says to God in Psalm 139 in verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go to from your Holy Spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. What is David teaching there in those verses? Well, simply put, brothers and sisters, there in those verses, David is saying that there is no place, there is no place where God is not. He is saying that God is everywhere we go and he's able to see everything that we do. He is saying that there's no place so high or so low or so bright or so dark where God cannot see exactly what we are up to. I can see everything that we do. Young people, God can see everything you're doing at school. He can see exactly how you're interacting with your friends. He sees every text message you, you send out. He sees everything we do at work. He sees everything we watch on television and what we're browsing on the Internet. He sees even how we treat our family, how we treat our spouse and our kids behind closed doors. There's no place we can go in this good earth to escape the all-seeing, watchful eyes of God. The Psalms teach us that God is ever-present, and the Psalms also teach us that, that God is everlasting. In the one Psalm written by Moses, Psalm 90, in verse number 2, Moses says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What does Moses mean when he says that God is from everlasting to everlasting? Well, there he means that unlike us, God has always existed. Many of you know I had a birthday yesterday. I was born on March the 6th, 1983. By the way, the 80s was a great time to be born. I'm a big fan of the 80s. <laughs> love the music, love it all. I was born March the 6th, 1983, which means that about nine months prior to that, I did not exist. While I do exist now, and I will always exist somewhere in eternity, I did not exist about nine months prior to March the 6th of 1983. I am not from everlasting to everlasting, and neither are you, but God is. God was there in the beginning when the world was made, He's always existed and he will always exist. Jesus makes this reference about himself in Revelation 1 and verse 8. Remember, remember Revelation 1 and verse 8. Jesus says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Remember that? 
What does Jesus mean when he says he's the alpha and the omega? Well, for us to be able to really appreciate what the Lord means by that, we got to know some things about the Greek, Greek alphabet. We got to understand the first letter of the Greek alphabet is what? It's alpha. And the last letter of the Greek alphabet is omega. First letter alpha, last letter omega. Jesus says that when it comes to his existence, he is the alpha and the omega. In our language today, that would mean that Jesus is the A to the Z. He has no beginning and no end. He is eternal. He is constant. He doesn't operate on time like we do. You see, as human beings, we operate on time, right? As human beings, we fight the clock. We're looking at how long the preacher preaches. We want to get to the restaurant and beat the Baptist there. We were always looking at time. <laughs> we got to get old. We got to worry about our bodies breaking down and wearing down. We got to worry about our kids getting grown too quick. We got to experience time passing us by each and every day. That's how we operate as human beings. But God doesn't operate like that. God is everlasting. God is eternal. God has always been and he will always be. He's everlasting. And he's also all-knowing. You know, in addition to watching basketball and playing basketball and playing PS5 basketball with my son, one of the things I like to do in my spare time, in addition to all that basketball stuff, is I like to read. You like to read? I love to read. All you got to do is go into my office and you'll see that going into a bookstore for me is like going into a, to a candy store. I, I love to, to buy books. I love to read and acquire knowledge, and, and maybe you do as well, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but let me tell you something about God. God doesn't have to do that. God doesn't have to read. God doesn't have to study. God doesn't have to take time to acquire knowledge. You know why? Because he knows everything. And Psalm 147, go back there. Let's go back to the second part of that verse. Psalm 147 in verse number five. Remember it said, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding, his knowledge is what? It is infinite. God's knowledge is infinite. What does that mean? Well, that means that God knows everything. That means that God knows everything about everything. He knows everything about me, and he also knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done in your life and everything you're going to do in your life. He knows every mistake you've ever made. He knows every sin you've ever committed. He also knows every act of service you've rendered for his glory. He knows every word you've spoken. He knows where you are in your little spot in the world. He knows if you're really part of his spiritual family. Remember, Jesus said in John 10 and verse 14, I know my sheep. Jesus knows if you're really part of God's family. He knows his people. He even knows what you're thinking right now. Let me tell you something. I don't have a clue of what you're really thinking right now. I don't really know how you feel about this sermon and, and this topic. I don't know all the details of your background and your life. I don't know what you're doing and how you're behaving on a, on a daily basis. I'm very limited in the things I know about you, and you're also very limited in the things you know about me. 
But it doesn't work that way with God. God knows all of us on a very personal and intimate level. He is all-knowing. And you know what else he is? According to the Psalms, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. In Psalm 135, in verse number 6, turn there in your Bible, Psalm 135. This word sovereign that we're using right now, this word sovereign means that God is under nobody's authority. Nobody is over God. I don't care who you are this morning. You, somebody is over you. You got to answer to somebody in your life. Either you got to answer to a boss on your job or a spouse or a parent or, or the U.S. government. Everybody in here, I don't care who you are, you got to answer to somebody. You got somebody in this world who has authority over you, but it doesn't work that way with God. God has no one who has authority over him. God doesn't have a boss. He doesn't have a spouse. He doesn't have some government that rules over him. God doesn't have to answer to anybody. In Psalm 135 and verse 6, what does it say? Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth and in all the seas and in all the deeps. The psalmist says nobody has a right to tell God what to do. Nobody has a right to question his decisions, his judgments. He does whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. You know why? Because he's sovereign. The Psalms teach us that God is sovereign, and the Psalms also teach us that God is perfectly holy. In Psalm 99 and verse number 9, the psalmist says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for holy Holy is the Lord our God. What does the Bible mean when it says that God is holy? When the Bible says that, what that simply means is God is set apart from sin. God has absolutely no fellowship with sin. God is pure in all of his ways. You know, one of the sad tragedies of Sean Jeffrey's life is Sean Jeffries has not always strived to be pure in all his ways. Unlike the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when Jesus was on the earth, Sean Jeffries is a sinner. Sean Jeffries is someone who for a time in his life, he was in fellowship with sin. He was a wicked person. He wasn't perfectly holy like God. The Bible says that God is perfectly holy. He has always been holy. He will always be holy. And you know what else he is according to Psalms? He's righteous. In Psalm 145 and verse 17, the Bible says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. When the Bible says that God is righteous, you know what that means? That means that everything God does is right. God's love is right. God's mercy is right. God's grace is right. God's justice is right. God never makes any mistakes in anything that he does. He never makes any mistakes, and that's very different than us, right? I mean, we make mistakes all the time. You know, one of the things, one of the, the goals I have every single day, God blesses me to get out of bed. 
Because when I wake up each morning, one of my main goals is to not do something dumb that day. It's to not make an idiot of myself. Now, most of the time, I absolutely fail after about an hour. But I make it a goal every single day. I make mistakes all the time. And you probably make mistakes, too. But, but God doesn't make mistakes, does he? God is right in all his ways. He never has and he never will do anything wrong. He is righteous. And he's also merciful. Will you please go to Psalm 136? This one's kind of lengthy, so I want to read this one with you. Psalm 136. And just, just, just let, the, let the verses really kind of just soak in your heart, please. Psalm 136 and verse 1. This is a great psalm. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who, will, who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. You get the point, don't you? You see what the psalmist is emphasizing over and over again? All throughout that psalm, the psalmist is, is declaring the loving and merciful nature of God. He is emphasizing that God is full of care and compassion and grace. He is good and he blesses his people. He is a merciful God. And aren't you thankful that God is a merciful God? I'm so thankful that God is a merciful God. I mean, being sinful creatures like we are we need to praise the lord every day that he is full of loving kindness and mercy god is merciful but then also consider how god is faithful go to psalm 14 verse 10 psalm 14 verse 10 the bible says i have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Notice the middle part of that verse. The psalmist says, I've spoken of your faithfulness. God is faithful. What do we mean when we say God is faithful? Well, simply put, my friends, when the Bible says that God is faithful, what it is talking about is how God never makes promises that he won't keep. It means that God will always do what he says. His words are sure. Let me ask you something. Have you, have you ever had somebody, have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and fail to keep that promise? You ever had somebody that you really trusted in your life really disappoint you and let you down? You ever had that happen before? I've had that happen to me many times. Unfortunately, we're living in a world where, where people, even Christians, can let us down and disappoint us from time to time. That happens all the time in this life, but the psalmist tells us that's never going to happen with God. God will never let you down. God will never disappoint you. God will always be faithful to you. He will keep his promises. 
He will always stand by what he has told you. God is the creator. God is all-powerful. He's ever-present, everlasting, all-knowing, sovereign, perfectly holy, righteous, merciful, faithful. These are just ten truths, just ten. Ten truths that the Psalms tell us about God. And I know somebody may be thinking right now, well, Sean, you missed this, and Sean, you missed that. I, I get that. I understand that there are many other attributes of God that we could talk about this morning. I understand that we could take the whole day and list all of the attributes that the Psalms declare about God. I get that and you get that, but now let's transition and let's talk about some application. Let's talk about application. What application should we make from all of this? In other words, how should we respond to all of this? What things should we, we do in our lives right now to properly respond to the God of the Psalms? I ask you this right now because, brothers and sisters, it is not enough for us just to know these things about God or even just believe these things about God. we got to also make sure we do right. we got to also make sure we live right. we got to make sure that we properly respond to what the Psalms tell us about God. How should we respond to the one true and living God? How should we respond to these realities that the Psalms tell us about God? Well, I want to give you three things to take home with you, and the lesson is going to be over. First, we need to respond to the God of the Psalms by doing this. We need to respond to all these things by standing in awe. We need to stand in awe of God. Someone says, where does that language come from? Well, that came from the scripture reading this morning. Did you notice it? Going back to what Brother Trevor read to us this morning from Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. Remember there, the psalmist told us that because of who God is, because he is great, because he is marvelous, because he is wonderful, we need to stand in awe of him. We need to stand in awe of his glory. We need to stand in awe of his majesty. We need to stand in awe of how great he is and how feeble and little we are before him. We need to be impressed by the Lord's creative handiwork that we see all around us, especially in this part of the country in which we live. You know, it amazes me. It amazes me just how easily impressed we are sometimes as human beings. Have you ever noticed that before? You know, my first local work, our first local work, and many of you know this, was in Florida. I left out of Beaumont, Texas. Being, I was there two years, trained to preach. We went out to Florida. We did five years of local work in, in, in a, a town called Leesburg, which is, which is not far from Orlando. We're actually going to be visiting with those folks, Lord willing, next Sunday. Shawn Michael hadn't been there since he was two years old. He's 11 now. He was born in Leesburg. And, and so we're looking forward to that. They're going to let me preach for them. And then I'm going to finally give in the faith and take her to Disney World. You know how that goes. But that's, that's another story. <laughs> but, we're, but we started out in Leesburg. We lived in Florida. And living in that part of Florida enabled us to, to see something kind of interesting from time to time. We got to see space shuttles launch out in the outer space. Have any of y'all ever seen that before? You ever seen a space shuttle launch out in the outer space? That's pretty impressive. It's impressive seeing a, a, a space shuttle launch out, but I'm going to tell you what impresses me even more than that. 
Beyond the expensive and sophisticated space shuttle, you know what I'm more impressed with? I am more impressed with the God who made the brains of the men who were able to make the space shuttle. I am more impressed with the outer space that the space shuttle is launching out into. I'm more impressed with the God who created the beautiful sunsets that we're able to see here in this part of Arizona and who gave us the Grand Canyon and who gave us the moon and the stars that I gaze upon at night. I want you to understand something. I don't care how smart we think we are as human beings. I don't care what new gadget or gadget we come up with, what new iPhone 20 we come up with, I don't care what we invent or what we make or what barrier we break through, nothing we do will ever be able to compare to the creative power of God. God's handiwork, his creation, that should cause us to always be impressed. That should cause us to stand in awe. All throughout the day, each and every day, we need to stand in awe of the God of the Psalms and you know what else we need to do? We also need to fear him. We need to fear him like we, like we talked about in a sermon a few weeks ago, right? This is something we're actually told to do all throughout the wisdom literature. We are told to fear God almost 60 times in the book of Psalms alone. We're told to fear God all throughout the book of Proverbs. Remember in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the book begins by saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because the Lord is all powerful, because he is sovereign, because he is able to see everything and, and be everywhere, we need to fear him. We need to revere him. We need to be afraid of what he can do to us and will do to us if we die in our sins. You know, it's no big secret that we're currently living in a society that doesn't fear God right now. Would you agree with that? We live in a society that doesn't fear God. I mean, if our culture, if our society really feared God, then the majority of people would not be championing things like homosexuality and transgenderism and murdering the unborn and a, and a whole host of other things that God's word clearly says are wrong. We live in a society that every single day they are showing us that they have no fear and no respect for God. The question is, what about you? Do you fear God? Do you fear the God that is revealed in the Psalms? I want to suggest that the number one way you can know if you really fear, fear God is found in how you live in your life. It's found in how you live in your life on a daily basis. It is found on whether or not you're truly committed to doing the things that God has declared in his word. That shows if you really fear God. We need to stand in awe of God. And we need to fear God. And then finally, I want to say this. We also need to be holy. We need to be holy like God is holy. Let me show you a couple of places in the New Testament as we, as we wrap up, please. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. You're probably very familiar with these verses. 1 Peter 1 and verse 14. Peter says this to Christians, to the people of God. He says, as obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't go back to that lifestyle you had before you became a Christian. Verse 15, but like the Holy One, that's God, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all, not some, be holy in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Notice how God has called us as his children to look like him. We are to look like our father. We are to look like our heavenly father. We are to be holy like God is holy. That's a commandment. Now go to Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you something in Matthew 5. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. And in verse 29, after telling us that it is wrong to look upon another with lust in our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What is Jesus saying in those verses? Is Jesus saying there that in order for me to avoid lust, I need to literally pluck out my eyes? Is there Jesus talking about literal Self-mutilation? That can't be what the Lord is talking about because even if I literally do pluck out my eyes, guess what? It still hadn't solved the problem. I can still lust in my heart. Jesus is not talking about literal self-mutilation in those verses. Instead, he's using very hyperbolic language to talk about two things, to emphasize two things. First, he's emphasizing the seriousness of sin. He is saying that sin is real and it's serious business. It's nothing to be played with, nothing to be dabbled in, nothing to be experimented with. It is serious business. In fact, it is so serious that the second thing the Lord is emphasizing there is we need to do whatever it takes to get it out of our lives. We need to do whatever it takes to cut it off from our lives. We need to get rid of it at all costs. That's what the Lord is, is meaning when he uses this very hyperbolic language. Do whatever it takes to get sin out of your life. Practically speaking, that may mean you got to give up those ungodly friends you have. We might have to get rid of that DirecTV or HBO or Netflix. We might have to throw away that iPad. We may have to throw that laptop computer in the trash. We may can't handle having an iPad or a laptop. We may have to break off that relationship with our boyfriend or our girlfriend who's trying to pressure us into having sex. Whatever we got to do in our lives to get sin out and to be holy, we need to just do it. We need to make the sacrifice. We need to understand that God has no fellowship with sin. He is pure and righteous in all his ways, and he expects, no, rather he demands that we strive to be just like We need to stand in awe. We need to fear and we need to be holy. These are three proper ways to respond to what the Psalms tell us about God. And maybe there's somebody here this morning in a crowd of this size who needs to do just that. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to respond to God. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who needs to respond to God for the very first time. If that is your need, if you need to respond to God for the first time, 
through faith and repentance and baptism, or if you need to respond to the Lord by repenting because you are a Christian who has strayed away from the family of God, whatever you need to do this morning to